Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. In, in Pixelmator Photo, what we've done is basically we've taken 20 million professional photos, created like an algorithm to break those photos, to kind of make them worse in natural ways. For example, evening out the contrast, so it's not quite as contrasty, pulling in the brightness, breaking the white balance. So we have these 20 million pairs of photos. Then we trained a machine learning algorithm to go from the bad images to the good ones again. It learned really, really well how to fix white balance. And that's one of the biggest things in this automatic enhancement. Welcome back to iPad Pros. Today, as you may have noticed, is a special release of the podcast. It's Tuesday, so what's the occasion? Well, I'm excited to share that I had the opportunity to speak with Andreas from Pixelmator to share some information about the newly released Pixelmator Photo for iPad. This app debuts in the App Store today. We dive into the app's origins, who this app is for, how they developed the machine learning technology used throughout the app to enhance photo editing, and much more. You can learn more about the app at pixelmator.com slash photo. As a reminder, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts or by heading over to patreon.com slash iPad Pros. Either of those would be a great help. Without further ado, here's my interview with Andreas. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Andreas. Can you first share what your role is within Pixelmator? Right now, I'm in charge of the marketing stuff. When I started Pixelmator, I actually started off doing like email support and eventually just sort of started taking on more things. And now it's mostly most of the marketing stuff. Like I do the text for the videos, come up with the ideas for tutorials, those, anything that involves the English language basically is my jurisdiction. Gotcha. And this new app, Pixelmator Photo, who is this for? Because there's Pixelmator on iOS already. This is a new app. The story behind the app is actually quite interesting. We were kind of working on Pixelmator Pro for the iPad, but we weren't really happy with the experience. What makes Pixelmator Pro on the Mac kind of different is the non-destructiveness of everything. One of the sort of biggest things that we worked on for Pixelmator Pro was was the color adjustments. So in, in the original Pixelmator, I mean, there was there was a range of, of, of tools for adjusting the colors of, of photos. But here we, we kind of created this whole new color model that was kind of based on human perception. So all the adjustments kind of take into account the fact that green perceived as brighter than, for example, blue. When you sort of make changes, everything works on that kind of perceptual basis. So when we were creating Pixelmator Pro for iPad, we realized we weren't getting the user experience that we wanted to Pixelmator Pro. But we, we had all these like really amazing photo editing tools that were pretty much ready to bring over from the Mac version um, of Pixelmator Pro. So we decided to just go for it. And, and the more we developed it, the more we grew to love this photo editing app. So, I mean, it's and it's kind of who's it for. It's, it's for anyone who wants to just edit their photos on iPad, whether you're like, you know, just you just take photos with your iPhone or you have a DSLR and you shoot in RAW. It's kind of like Aperture maybe. Or Lightroom, that kind of style of app, whereas maybe Pixelmator for iOS is more of like a Photoshop type of app. Right. And was it a limitation of the iPad's hardware or OS that made Pixelmator Pro not a starter yet for iPad? Part of it is, is the memory stuff on the iPad. Yeah. It is difficult. So we'll, we'll see what Photoshop will do. There are certain things that the iPad's better at at the moment. And we could have done something, obviously, with Pro on the iPad, but it just wouldn't have been as uncompromising in terms of the experience. Right now, Pixelmator Photo is completely non-destructive. So all the tools you can edit, use without affecting the other tools. So you can just, you know, if you want, you can choose the repair tool, get rid of an object, then adjust the colors of the photo, then crop it, straighten it, whatever, and everything remains editable. That's just, it's such a nice feeling having this kind of really uncompromising 
user experience where everything is just non-destructive to the max. And that's why we kind of we wanted to do this, to do this app just because it's just it's something we love using ourselves. I think that's always a good way to go when you're developing an app and you're doing it kind of just for yourself, like what you would want to have, not for an imaginary user out there. Like we need to, you know, fill the needs of, of, of these people, but it's just, it's just for what you want to do. Yeah. So one question I have is pixel your photo, you're just editing the photo. Is there a file type? Are you able to then take those edits on Pixelmator Pro and the Mac and finish your edit there? That's actually going to be possible a bit after the release of the, of the first version because it would actually require an update more to Pixelmator Pro to support the extra non-destructiveness in photo because obviously all the tools are, are non-destructive and in pros. The crop tool has been improved in Pixelmator Photo to make it better for working with photos. So for example, you can't crop a photo and add transparency, whereas on the Mac with a image editing design workflow, you, you might want to add some extra space around an image. With photo, it's just a completely kind of optimized for photo editing. We're going to have to do that in Pixelmator Pro on the Mac. We plan to do that in the next couple of months after, after 1.0. So eventually you'll be able to open those Pixelmator photo files in Pixelmator Pro on the Mac. Perfect. And can you walk me through a typical workflow for a photographer editing with photos on the iPad from getting the photos into the iPad and the final export to wherever it's going to head? Yeah, I mean, I guess the simplest thing that most people will be doing is just you open up the app, you get the standard files interface like uh, in other sort of iWork apps like Keynote page and whatever, and you tap the, the plus button to create a new file. That will open up your photo library, tap a photo, preview it, tap import to open it, make whatever edits you want. And then if you tap the share button, you can save back to the original photo in the library. If you want to export, you can also export to different format. But I guess the general workflow, the most common one would be import a photo from photos and then save back to the original image. So is there a difference between how editing a photo from your iCloud photo library is versus iCloud Drive? The only difference is that you import from photos, you can save back to the original image. We create a Pixelmator photo file to save all the changes. So if you want, you can keep that file and reopen it later on. Have all the edits you've made editable still. Whether you, you import from photos or you open an image from your like iCloud drive or just on your iPad, we create a Pixelmator photo file. It's kind of the same result, more or less. Gotcha. And then when you're actually doing the edits, is there a gesture language to Pixelmator? What should people know about, do you know if there's a special double tap or swipes or anything that... Everything is kind of as you would expect in, in any kind of iOS app. The only special gesture is probably the double tap, and that works in the adjustments. So anyone who's kind of used the main photo editing apps probably used to double clicking or double tapping on any kind of slider or control to reset it. So that works in Pixelmator Photo. And you can also double tap the image to zoom to fit or zoom out. And that's pretty much the only things that aren't kind of, you know, the, the usual pinch or drag or swipe gestures. Gotcha. And then there's also a lot of keyboard shortcuts to kind of get around the editing as well. Do you have some favorites in there that are kind of the most useful ones you found? I think keyboard shortcuts are all kind of quite similar. So they just turn on, you know, various tools. If you want to straighten the photo, crop the photo, repair something, turn on the color adjustments or save the photo. They're all equally useful because they're all kind of used for navigating around the app. Right. When you're actually doing the editing, what kind of tools are in there to do the color adjustments? There's quite a bit I've been... Uh, playing around with that. So I mean, we, we've got most of the color adjustments that people are used to, especially, again, if, if they've used kind of similar apps. And that's kind of our whole idea. We want to take the serious tools that people are used to, but package everything in a really easy to use interface that anyone can use. So even if you're not like, a, if you haven't used similar apps, you can come in and find your way around. So obviously there's stuff like, the, you know, editing the exposure, brightness, contrast, highlights, shadows, selective color, which is a really fantastic adjustment for editing like specific color ranges of a photo. So for example, if you want to, if you have a landscape shot with some blues and greens and you want to, obviously often you'll want to 
saturate the, <laughs> saturate the greens, not too much. That's one of my favorites. Any photo I take, after adjusting like the sort of exposure settings, using the lightness adjustment, I'll, I'll go into selective color and just make certain colors stand out. I want certain objects, subjects in the in the, in the photo to, to, to shine more. So I love that one. And it's especially cool. It's got like the special histogram. So you can see the amount of each color range in a photo. Very nice. And something I've noticed kind of throughout the application is machine learning. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about how machine learning is integrated into this app, what the process was for creating this technology for Pixelmator? Absolutely. Yeah, this is like one of my favorite things. And I think it's one of the things that we had the most like positive feedback about. One of the biggest machine learning powered features is the ML enhanced feature. So that's like a sort of the same automatic photo enhancement feature they have in lots of other apps. But I think anyone who's used those apps will know that most of the time what you get is just it's not reliable and people tend to avoid that. The first thing when you open a, a photo, you'll rarely click that auto magic one button because usually you'll just get fairly average results. And I think in, in Pixelmator Photo, what we've done is basically we've taken 20 million professional photos, created like an algorithm to break those photos to kind of make them worse in natural ways. For example, evening out the contrast, so it's not quite as contrasty, pulling in the brightness, breaking the white balance. So we have these 20 million pairs of photos. Then we trained a machine learning algorithm to go from the bad images to the good ones again it learned really really well how to fix white balance and, and um, most photographers when they you know open up a photo to edit that's the first thing that they'll probably fix right the white balance and regular people the so white balance is off right if it's got too much blue or yellow people will just kind of see it like the best example is like the blue dress right the, the white balance is way way off but most people their brains try to sort of see what the color should be they won't see that the light is wrong they'll just kind of see the color that, that it should be because we can guess what the lighting conditions were and if it's too blue you'll be like all right well that's white obviously because it to blue lighting. So what we've done is we've trained the machine learning algorithm really well how to fix white balance, which is something that most people won't know how to do. So we fix the white balance, we fix the exposure, highlights and shadows, and the result is, is in my experience, just absolutely the best automatic photo enhancement feature that I've used. And it's really great when you open up any photo, tap ML Enhance, and it gives you just a great starting point to add your own finishing touches. So it'll take care of all those kind of boring things, you know, even out the exposure, getting the white balance right. And then you can move on to just making the photo look the way you want it to, the way you kind of imagined it when you took it. And I really appreciate, so you have the, the wand in the main menu bar area, but when you dive into the panels, Everything's selected for machine learning. You have individual white balance, hue saturation, lightness, all color balance, all of that, selective color, all of that is machine learning once you tap the wand. And you can selectively disable certain aspects of that machine learning. So the wand is everything, and then you can downscale from there if you do want to make it your own. They're all powered by the same algorithm. It kind of has like this target idea of where the colors and, and the, the tones, yeah, the highlights, the shadows, the, the mitos need to be. And with each adjustment, it will use the sliders you have there to get as close to that target result as possible. For example, select color. It will also try to improve the white balance of the photo just using those controls. It's really nice to be able to take certain aspects of that and incorporate it into the editing process, yeah. And a part of the app is a bunch of different presets for different kind of photo looks. And I know machine learning kind of will work with that as well. What kind of considerations are made when you, say, turn on black and white or... There's all sorts of different photography looks. How does machine learning factor into that? So that's actually really interesting because that's one of the things that I wish we kind of would have maybe made a bit more obvious, but we wanted to maybe leave it more sort of subtly integrated. So basically, if you tap the ML enhance button, all the adjustment presets, they turn into like these smart sort of ML presets because each preset we created without the lightness and the white balance adjustments, 
So all the Pacific color looks, right? So there's like a preset inspired by classic like analog photographic films, stuff inspired by modern films, stuff that gives you like an orange and teal kind of cinematic look. Each of those presets, every single preset is created without lightness and white balance. So if you tap the ML enhanced wand, all the presets are applied together with lightness and white balance that are automatically applied, right? So that they sort of enhance the photo and then you get the look alongside that using the other adjustments. If ML enhances off, then white balance and lightness aren't applied at all. You get kind of like the base look that presets were created with the adjustments, the, the sort of base style. And with ML Enhance on, you get the automatic adjustments plus the looks. With certain photos, maybe ML Enhance doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not, doesn't give you the result that you're looking for. So we're kind of given the option of just using the presets with the automatic adjustments or not. And then the cropping tool I noticed also has this. Is the design of that to try to focus on the subject of the photo or what was the design with kind of learning how to crop the best way? That's an interesting story as well because ML crop, we, we were working on it. The goal for the algorithm was to calculate something called the likeness factors. So it would, it would try to guess how many likes a photo would get with a certain adjusted composition. The idea is to make photos sort of more striking and eye-catching, but it doesn't tend to go over the top. It will usually focus on the subject, definitely, and just try and get rid of any sort of unnecessary space around the photo. Just like ML Enhance, it doesn't try to do too much, and it just tries to give you kind of like the suggestion for what you could do rather than being kind of crazy about it. But also, what's cool about the ML Crop thing is it works with the crop presets, so like if you choose a 5-4 ratio and then you tap ML Crop or vice versa, it will calculate the sort of machine learning crop for that particular preset pretty cool i think yeah very nice so there's a whole host of tools that aren't a part of the machine learning and one of those is sharpen and i'm just really impressed just how it's implemented being able to it's not just a flat sharpen or less sharpen it's you have radius control and intensity control do you have other editing tools within here that you just Really appreciate how you guys ended up implementing it. I would say the color balance adjustment, which also we did in, in recently in Pixmator Pro, which which has this, I think, much more intuitive interface. The standard in photography apps, the standard color balance adjustment will, would be like a cyan, red, magenta, green, and yellow, blue sliders. So like they, one side will be red, one side will be cyan. And it's really weird how like if you move each slider the same amount, the photo wouldn't change because like it's about the difference between each slider that gets you the shifted color balance in each tonal range so shadows mid or highlights in video editing apps of color grading which is like a massive part of editing videos in the cinema industry and just any kind of video for like adverts or tv or whatever and they use these wheels which i find really cool because with the wheels you literally just the further you move a certain point towards the edge of the, the wheel the more the color balance shifts towards a certain color in that color range when you see it first it's kind of like a it's a fairly crazy looking interface, like these big wheels with yeah. the central point or whatever. But when you start using it, it's so much more intuitive. And, and I understand completely why all these professional colorists would never use the sliders that you get in, in photo apps for some reason, which are always there um, and always stick to these wheels. So I love that personally. I think it's also one of my favorite tools in the app. And when you're using the wheel, you've got the wheel itself in the middle, and then you have a two arcs. Pretty obvious to me that it's making it, is it brighter and darker on the right arc? Yeah. Is the left arc, is it more it's saturation. saturation? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's also the three-way color, which lets you kind of dive into highlights, midtones, and shadows, which is nice as well. The three-way color for me, is that's, that's the best one. Just really makes it really easy to give a certain like kind of color look to a photo because it's really nice to be able to sort of maybe make the shadows warmer and the highlights cooler or something like that. Just, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, is there any way in Pixelmator Photo to kind of look at your history and say, I want to go back to yesterday's edit at 3 p.m.? Is there a way to do that? or? Yeah, right now, there's just the undo button. The history feature is actually a, a pretty good idea, and I think definitely something to consider you know, for future updates. Now, Pixelmator Photo supports raw editing. Over 500 cameras. Yep. Have you seen a benefit for, say I'm an, just an iPhone user and I want to do editing. Have you tested out RAW from modern iPhones? And is there a big benefit using that versus the standard capture and then editing in, within Pixelmator? So RAW photos will usually have an extra one and a half exposure stops. iPhone RAW, I think, has an extra half exposure stop. Still getting better color accuracy over a JPEG, so you've got more control. But also, another thing that's actually pretty cool about our color model is even for like JPEGs, which is, you know, kind of low dynamic range relatively in the super cool special color model that we created, we try to sort of extrapolate what a high dynamic range version of that image would look like. So if we're editing the color balance or the exposure or whatever, well, we can't bring back like anything that's blown out with the colors that are there. We do try and use the, like the high dynamic range version of the image how we would imagine it to be so we feel that as far as you know we, we've tested our color adjustments work better with you know with jpegs as well you know compared to other apps yeah now apple pencil and the ipad pro or and i guess all the ipads now are a thing is there any integration at all double tap on the apple pencil 2 or any different behavior that will happen there's a little bit we definitely racked our brains thinking like how can we add something for, for apple pencil users because we love the pencil but right now the app is very much just mostly sort of sliders and the only painting thing is is, is a repair tool yeah but just to have something we added a double tap gesture to uh, undo so you know, if you want to undo certain changes you can just quickly double tap the pencil but in the future i think you know one of our goals is going to be obviously having some sort of selective editing so like masking stuff like that so we definitely have some ideas for, for the pencil for the future very cool now one of my favorite features in the original pixel mater is the repair tool is it the same exact tool here or were there enhancements made for especially photography or anything like that it's pretty much the same tool the biggest thing is right now is, is that it's non-destructive that's new pretty much for any of our apps so you know you can use a repair tool and then go back to you know adjusting colors or cropping the photo and then obviously undo those or reset those changes with a repair tool i guess one of the biggest differences and one of the things that was most difficult to do because our repair tool works with raw images which is actually a very very difficult thing to do because you've got like you know the extended range data so let's say you're repairing any part of the photo it's got like let's say it's the highlights right and you're sort of at the edge of the tone range like the very brightest areas if you pull the highlights back in you know in the raw image some detail will appear that would have been, you know, that's been, let's say, overexposed. When we recreate those areas using the repair tool, we have to take into account that some detail might come back in and obviously it has to reappear as well. So, yeah, raw repair, I don't think any other app on any platform exists non-destructively. So I think that's one of the things actually why we kind of delayed the, the release of the app as well. And at least a couple of months just to just to get that because we again really like the feeling of the of, of like the complete non-destructiveness in, in the editing process now when you're using the repair tool is there a best approach is it better to highlight everything all at once or do little sections kind of at a time and kind of build up to the full area you're looking for 
That kind of depends on the situation. There's a lot of machine learning magic in the perpetual as well. So sometimes, you know, you might sort of change the so-called mask, right? So like the, the area that you repair, if you change it by like, you know, a, a tiny amount, you'll get a somewhat different result. It will think to take certain different areas of the photo and patch it together in different ways. Most of the time I say, if you don't get the result you're looking for, try a couple more times, undo. I usually paint the mask close to the edges of the object that I want to repair. So I, I leave as much of the original image intact and just try and get the, the repair tool to do the work on just the object. And people can use this for like getting rid of shadows if you accidentally had that in there or what, what's some good uses of the repair tool? So the best thing is removing objects from, from backgrounds. I think one of the things that we want to improve is getting rid of objects next to other objects, right? So you've got like mm -hmm. a, a background and you've got an object you remove and you have an object that you don't want to touch. And right now, in pretty much, I would say, every app out there, the tricky thing is yeah, getting rid of objects next to other objects. Because it thinks the second object is a part of the background. Right, exactly right. Because that's what, that's what it's been trained to do. And definitely, I think over the next couple of years, I think you'll see some improvements in this from us and from I'm sure from others because devices are getting more powerful, have more sort of computational power, and this stuff is going to be easier to do. So right now, I would say generally objects from backgrounds is the best thing. Don't expect it to do too much if, if you want it to paint in something that's not in the image. And I do notice it is an iPad exclusive app. Uh, was the iPhone screen size just not, uh, or aspect ratio not, we guys wanted to have uh, work at this point? The idea did kind of come about from the Mac version. So we, we basically wanted to take all the, the interface from, from Pixelmator Pro and put it on iPad because it felt just so perfect for that screen size. On the iPad, all the controls are always visible. You've got so much free real estate. And that's one of the, I think, the, the biggest attractions or the biggest sort of selling points of the app. This is quite desktopy kind of feel where you've got like everything how you're used to when you're working with a photo. And so with the iPhone, we all want like a, a Pixelmator photo of iPhone definitely because you know the amount of times I've taken a photo and been like, oh god damn it, wish I had wish I had my iPad on me. Because you don't always have it around right. with you, especially just walking around, you know, not going out to take photos. The biggest challenge is going to be making an interface that suits the iPhone. So not like, you know, somehow shrunken down to iPhone. The reverse of that would be like, I would say some of the apps I've used, you've got these kind of, on, I mean, on iPad, you've got these kind of scaled up iPhone apps. With these two devices, you definitely have to think about designing for the device specifically. The reason we went iPad first is just because we already had a lot of what we wanted to have in terms of the interface on the iPad. Right. Makes sense. And then I was looking over hardware requirements. It is built for modern iPads, it looks like. iPad Pro, like the original one, and later, basically, I think. And also the, the low-end ones as well, because they do have good CPUs these days. What kind of hardware components are you tapping into that, that really need to be there to, for this app to, to work well? So the, the requirements are iPad 5th Gen, iPad 6th Gen, all the iPad Pros, and the new Air 3 and the Mini 5. The thing is, actually... <laughs> Right now, there isn't a way to differentiate between devices, for example, the Air 1 and the Air 2. Yeah. And so on the first iPad Air, we aren't happy with, with the way it's performing. We don't want people to you know, buy the app and be disappointed with the performance. And so we've had to sort of set the cutoff point using a kind of workaround, basically. Yeah, uh, the App Store is a bit rough with that right now. <laughs> I, I really understand Apple's viewpoint here, you know, where they don't want people to sort of pick and choose like, okay, we'll release that on Air 2, but not the Air 1, because maybe it would have taking them some, a little bit of extra work or whatever, you know, work on performance. If they decide the iPad can run iOS 12 and your app requires iOS 12, you know, you should support that iPad. I get it. But for us, it was kind of like we could see, for example, that on the first air, it's just something that we didn't want to, for people to maybe download and, you know, be disappointed. So we had to set the cutoff point 
maybe a little bit more aggressively than we would have otherwise done. And anything we didn't touch yet that you'd like to speak on before we wrap it up? I think that's pretty much it, actually. We've discussed quite a lot. Just really excited to release this app. You know, it's what, three days to go, I think, what, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So I'm really, really excited to for everyone to try it out. And I really just would love to hear what people think. So it's just a start. So after 1.0, we're going to you know, keep working. On, we're already working on certain things for both Pixmeter Pro and the Mac and, and photo stuff like clarity adjustment, um, denoise. It's pretty fun to release a new app to wait for kind of reactions. So I'm just looking forward to that. Excellent. And Fixed Layer Photo will be out today. I'm releasing this on launch day. So it's now Tuesday. Yes, and, uh... we're in the future. <laughs> we're in the future. Where can people find more information about Pixelmator Photo? Obviously, you get it in the App Store, but uh, what's the website? Yeah, on the website, pixelmator.com slash photo. We've got a user guide up as well. If you want to learn to use the app, that's obviously accessible within the app. And from the website, from our support page, come to the forum. Please register. I'll answer all your questions because I do that as well. <laughs> Everywhere. Twitter as well. If you want to tweet us or Facebook us, we're also around. So always happy to answer questions. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. It's uh, very much appreciated. I know you're very busy getting ready for this launch. Yeah, it's all good, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for asking all these very good questions, I would say. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPad Pros Podcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, if you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search and helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.